The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball. Phil Hay from The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to read all the reaction to the Wolves game. Another insane chapter in the life of Leeds United, Phil. How was it for you? These are the best games to write about. And oddly, as a lot of people picked up on over the weekend, exactly the same date last year, we were writing about not exactly the same game, but a game that felt very, very similar um, and chaos in the same way, the 3-2 at Molyneux under, under Jesse Marsh. I came away thinking that there's something about Molyneux for Leeds, and I don't know what it is. I, I saw Neil Redfern in the press box. He was doing um, Radio Leeds punditry um, on Saturday. And it seems to me that it almost goes back to him People remember him taking that team to Molyneux, the really young Leeds team, and giving Calvin Phillips a game there, uh, Phillips' debut, playing Alex Moe at Sam Byram, Charlie Taylor. Aside who were up against a really strong Wolves team going for the playoffs and really had no business of pushing them as close as, as they did. And the second half kind of developed into mayhem. And from there onwards, you've had the, the Dukara night where he probably looked as close to world class as Dukara was ever going to look. Then last season and, and and this season again. And it was another one of those matches where in the end, you know, the hour after full time when everything goes quiet and you sit and you think about it, it's very difficult to process. You're quite hard to get your head around what's gone on. Quite hard in, in some ways to work out why what's gone on has gone on and how it's ended up that Leeds have won that game 4-2 uh, in circumstances where it, it could easily have been different and where a lot of things turned on either very minor decisions or very, very fine margins. But the bottom line is it's a, a huge win. And I don't think we were overstating it on, on last week's Friday podcast when we, we said that they needed a result from this game. And I felt that they needed a win from it with Arsenal coming. I, I felt it was it was essential that they moved themselves either out of the bottom three or into a position where there wasn't too much of a risk of them being cut adrift after the Arsenal game. Because I think if we're being honest, that there could be more there could be more madness down there, who's to say? But realistically, there probably isn't going to be much coming back from the Emirates. But this puts them this puts them in a position of strength in comparison to where they were after the Brighton game. And I think it also has the effect of kind of increasing the tension and the stress that other clubs will be feeling because more than ever, you know, a four point gap from the bottom to Palace. Uh, where they are up in up in twelfth, it's absolutely wide open. This and and it's just liable to change every single week. And I know we're still only three points off the bottom here, Phil. But psychologically, going into the international break in fourteenth position with a minus nine goal difference, which is the you know it's the joint best of all the teams down there, isn't it? I think um, along with uh, with Leicester, it feels much healthier even though it just happens to be that we're the right side of the line for now. And there could be plenty of more twists and turns as the season goes on, but I feel a million percent better if we're going to use a football exaggeration. I think everybody will, but it's not even just Saturday, is it? I think you start to look now at Gracia's initial spell of four games, take out the, the Fulham game in, in the FA Cup, and it's seven points from those games, which is a good return for a side who have not been pulling in points regularly, not been pulling in wins regularly, two wins from, from those games as well. And... You know, whether or not it was the case that, that Jesse Marsh was unlucky with results compared to some of the performances, and you can certainly pick out games where that was true, Aston Villa away being, being one of them. Leeds, I think, have started to fall on the right side of, of certain lines. So rather than dropping points in games where they should have taken more, they're, they're actually picking points up. 
the goals have started to flow again for for at the weekend. And I think it was significant as well at Molyneux that we weren't talking about Bamford deflected shot from 20 yards and, you know, a Harrison Wildey from wide on the left. The, the first goal to, to take that just in isolation, the non-tool burst to the, the byline, the sort of perfect cutback for Harrison. A quality goal, you know, quality attacking. And, and these, I think, over the past couple of weeks are the things that have started to come and certainly came on Saturday. Just that feeling that even VAR and the refereeing decisions of which there was a hell of a lot of debate after full time on Saturday, a strange amount actually. I didn't. It didn't seem to me to merit the, the levels of frustration that there seemed to be at the Wolves' end over the weekend. But even on that front, you know, it just fell Leeds way on Saturday. Things just felt a little bit like they were starting to turn. And, and this was exactly the point where that needed to happen. You know, you you run the risk in a season where you're not playing well and where you're not getting results that you talk about turning the corner so much that without realising it, you get to May and you haven't and you're relegated. But this is a huge shot in the arm and it gives them absolutely every chance. We'll get to the contentious stuff in due course and we might not be able to cover all of it off in this show, Phil. There was a lot to go at. Um, They were very upset. But in terms of the goals scored, do you remember I was saying way back, I think it was towards the start of the season, that it uh, it was Nick Harris, Sporting Intelligence at Sporting Intel, who'd sort of tracked this correlation between points on the board and number of goals scored and of, of course you know you both you and Michael were were ribbing me for this stat but it, it's actually tracking you know um, across, yeah. the, across the course of the season for the Premier League and my thanks go to the Twitter account at and Stacey won for, uh, for dropping me a tweet about this over the weekend and pointing out now that after the Arsenal and Palace game in the Premier League there have been 736 goals scored and 745 points scored so it is tracking it's about a goal to a point obviously there's variation within it and the second greatest underperforming side in terms of points to goals is Leeds. So Leicester have scored 38 goals and have got 25 points. We've got 26 points. We've scored 35. So we're uh, they're 13 behind the uh, number of goals scored. We are nine behind. Um, so it goes to show that we've actually, we've got goals in us, um, but perhaps, I mean, I don't know exactly how far you can draw stuff out of this, but maybe it would suggest that us and Leicester have enough firepower to steer ourselves away from relegation. Well, goals, goals mean points, points mean prizes. I think Saturday was certainly a day where you were grateful for the fact that Wolves are not particularly in the habit of scoring regularly. And, you know, they, they did get two goals in the end, but one of them a, a deflection from Kuna off the boot of um, of Max Verber. But aside from that, you know, that chance for Jimenez that Melier saved, fantastic save. You yeah. know, it was, it was a, a great reaction. But a chance you should have taken, you know, and a chance that you're absolutely looking for your, your nine to bury. And and even Wolves' first goal, you know, the header out from Melier, the, the kind of blind pass from Rocker to Johnny that Johnny lobs over him. Almost a bit of a freak goal. And and that's, that's I think, the, the, the bit of the hole that, that Wolves are in. I, I, I kind of feel like Wolves will be okay looking at them. They had a hell of a lot of that game on Saturday. I think it would be wrong to pretend that Leeds controlled that from start to finish. And I think it would probably be wrong to pretend that a 3-0 up, they'd controlled it in a way that necessarily merited um, a 3-0 lead. But it doesn't really matter when you get to this stage and it doesn't really matter when you're in you know a huge amount of trouble. I think those are the performances that tend to get analysed in, in more detail earlier in the season because that's when you try to paint a picture of what a team are doing and how well processes are working and, and how well the tactics are, are taking hold. But at this point, you know, with so few games to go and with Leeds in 19th before kickoff, they just needed to find a way to to win it. 
And without a doubt, things you know things are kind of falling into place for Gracia. Things are going for him, are, are working for him. The, the substitution of Christensen for Nonto, I think, surprised everybody, me included. And then 10 seconds later, Christensen is scoring. It, it goes 3-0. But in actual fact, I don't think that substitution had a great effect on Leeds. It, it delivered the goal there and then, although I think we also would, would feel that they should have defended that an awful lot better. But from that point on, it really did invite Wolves forward and Leeds were, were really struggling to get out. They were struggling to, to get any decent possession. They're struggling to throw punches in return. But again, I thought sending Somerville on was quite a clever move because it felt to me as if Gracia had realised that suddenly minus Nonto and, and with the team shaped as it was, they didn't have any attacking threat. And in the absence of attacking threat, all that was going to happen was wave after wave of Wolves' attack with you know, Molyneux trying hard to suck the ball into the net. And I thought Somerville did a great little shift. I honestly did on, you know, out wide on the left with very little in the way of good possession. Grafted, grafted, made something of nothing a couple of times. And then in the end came up with, you know, that dispossessing Traore, which I'm sure we'll get on to, setting up Rodrigo for a quality, quality finish. I mean, Rodrigo, to my mind, he's got a year left next season. And I'm starting to think, you know, having for two years thought, I don't really see this working. I don't see where this is going. I'm starting to think that you might want to keep him beyond that if he if he carries on playing like this. He's remarkably efficient this season, isn't he? Um, just on the attacking front then, taking Willie Nonto off, it did raise eyebrows, didn't it? And the more logical move, I think in the eyes of many fans, would have been Aronson off and shift Nonto inside. What do you think the reasoning was there? Or do you think maybe Nonto's carrying an injury? Is it something else? He wanted to he wanted to go three at the back and I think he wanted to um to kind of stem what was going on out wide, which was where Leeds had been under pressure all afternoon. I mean, again, it was one of those contradictory days for Luke Ayling where he, he scores that goal and it's you know fabulous moment for him. But the first half was really torrid on his side of the pitch. It was incredibly difficult. And you know, Wolves had thrown on um Adama Triori, who can be very hit and miss, but actually was quite hit on Saturday he caused he caused real trouble down the right hand side and, and helped to get to get Wolves back into the game. I think that was the idea that defensively they, they were going to be stronger, they were going to be tighter, they were going to be more compact. But it didn't really work. And it I think what he seemed to realise was that the consequence of, of going more defensive was that Leeds didn't have much in the way of attacking outlets. So in the end, he was pretty brave, I thought. You know, some of on, Rodrigo on, give yourself the chance that rather than it going 3-all, it is going to go 4-2, um, which it did. Um, so I don't think in, in any ways a, a perfect day tactically, but um, I think that's asking a lot to expect it to be like that. You know, bearing in mind that he has only been in the door a few weeks, I think to this point he's done an incredibly good job. What do you think of his management of Nonto then, assuming that's what it is and it isn't an injury? Well, he certainly didn't say he was injured afterwards. Um, he was asked about it, and and he'd said that you know the point of bringing Christensen on was that he was going to switch the three at the back and have football on one side, Christensen on the other. I think enough bodies to try and stem the, the areas where wolves were were being dangerous. To my mind, it was the right decision to bring Nonto back into the starting lineup, and, and actually, the, the first kind of five or six minutes that led to the goal, Leeds did exactly the right things. There was a lot of intent in the play; they were very positive. They were undoubtedly hitting onto constantly um, in the way that that they have been over you know a period of months now, and it surprised me, given what clubs have been doing with Nonto more and more, that Wolves didn't seem wiser to that, and that you know Leeds were playing to Nonto, and every time they did, he had space to run into, and he had a defender to attack. They didn't seem to have got their heads around the concept of quickly doubling up on him, 
Um, and as I said, the you know the creation of that first goal was fantastic. Just that bit of pace to take him away, and then intelligence to to pick out the right ball. So yeah, I think there probably is a little bit of of management in that respect. But also, you you start to see in Gracia from what he says and and what he does, a little bit of the Bielsa train of thought. I think in that individuals aren't necessarily crucial or he doesn't look at any individuals as undroppable or unchangeable or you know, from time to time expendable. I think there are moments where he will, and he's done this before, he did it against Southampton, you know, where he will look at Nonto and say, we need Somerville on the pitch as an example, um, which is what he did on Saturday. And then, you know, when it comes to it, you, your judgments are upheld or blown apart by results, aren't they? And, and I think, from from where it went at 3-2 to how it finished, I thought in that spell when it was absolutely critical that the game was managed, he got it right. Just rewinding to the start of the game and those early chances, he was causing havoc down there right, wasn't he? Our left, Willie Nonto. And that's what I really liked about the opening goal. We just broke down the line, cut it back and, and put it in. It felt like the sort of goal that Leeds should have been scoring more of. You know, we've been missing easy chances perhaps and not being as efficient as we might like in recent weeks, but to see them just start with that intent and score that straightforward goal. Because, I mean, I am going to have to remind you that I did say um, we should get into a 3-0 lead by the hour mark. You did. On the did. on the show at yes. the back end of the week. I, yes. was just, I was sort of just being tongue-in-cheek, but when you take chances like we did in that first six minutes, you give yourselves a platform, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and then, you know, you I think when you then allow Wolves to have as much of the game as Wolves had in the first half, you're relying on things like the couple of big blocks from Max Verber, who I thought had a, a yeah. great game on Saturday. I mean, it interests me that I almost feel that the two most influential signings this season have been the two made with least fanfare, you know, Verber and Nonto. They've been bigger names than them. They've been bigger transfer fees spent by them. But non, I mean, Nonto, to, you know, to, to the... Average onlooker, what Nonto does is is very obvious. I, I think some of what Verber does is obvious, but in in a broader sense, he, he seems to me that he's helped to give the defence, without it being perfect and, and without it not conceding goals, he's helped to give it some kind of structure and some balance and I think some continuity as well. I think Furpo is playing better and is probably playing better because he's got somebody like Verber in there who's a, a really reliable presence. But you you do, you know, those moments are, are critical. If if Verba doesn't make those blocks, if those shots go in, if, you know, the penalty is given to Semedo, then you, you do instantly have a different game. And, and the thing that Leeds were great at on Saturday was just taking the chances when they came, you know, making absolutely no mistake. Ailing with that header, you've got to score that. You know, you just have to score that chance. Christensen just bright enough to think there's no better option here than to, to have a swing at it. And then, as I say, you know, that chip from... Rodrigo, I think because of what was going on around that and because the game was so frenetic, it almost distracted people from, you know, how high quality that was. But you're right. I mean, he is, you know, he's outperforming his XG massively this season. He's coming up with goals. He's coming up with big goals. I think we sort of mentioned player of the season award. He'll be right in the running, won't he? Because, um, you know, how many players have been better than him? That chip was very reminiscent of the one at Burnley in the 4-0 towards the back end of the uh, the first season back up. It was absolutely brilliant, I thought. I think what you're starting to see with him is the finesse. You know, you're starting to see the finesse that you would expect of somebody who's cost nigh on £30 million. And whatever his weaknesses and, and whatever it is about certain styles of football that don't suit him, once there's a bit of confidence flowing and once he's got that little swagger about him, it's starting to come quite naturally 
And, you know, from this point, I'd be quite interested to see how many goals he finishes on for the season, Rodrigo, because he looks like he's got plenty in him. And if Leeds are going to have a decent running and if they are going to stay up, they're going to need goals. And it seems to me that at the moment, if you were picking between a fully fit Bamford and a fully fit Rodrigo, certainly when it comes to, to looking for goals, you'd be going with the latter. And returning to the, the stat that I mentioned before, you know, about the, the points and goals and all that malarkey. If we can keep our attacking options fit between now and the end of the season and we have more goals in us, and you add that to what you were saying about Verba there, Phil, that he seems to have just tightened things up at the back, we look a lot more organised. Hopefully, those two things in tandem should drive us towards safety. I sort of dangerously found myself on the way to the drive home from Molyneux thinking about what you're going to do with this team and this squad next season after they stay up, which is never a great idea. <laughs> We've got an interview with Matt Rocker that's running this week. It's really interesting, actually. He gets into, uh, talks a lot about mindfulness, which is a kind of big part of his kind of daily routine um, as a footballer. But I've been thinking about Rocker, obviously, because I'm I'm writing this piece and about what he does and what his strengths are. And, and I guess the need more and more to try and create a system or a, a formation, a, a plan of attack that really, really works to the the strengths of the individual players who are in the team. I know that it has to be a, a collective a collective plan ultimately. But for example, in, in kind of crazy frenetic football, is that ever going to give you the best of Rocker? You know, is that Rocker's game? Is that what he does? I don't think it is. You know, he's a he's a passer, he's a thinker, he's a guy who who pulls the strings. And you kind of right, really. You, you, I think we've been saying this all season that when you go through the team, you don't find a shortage of good players in it. It's not that there's a lack of good footballers. I just think that collectively, the threads have not been pulled together in a way that was was the way that's worked or a way that was going to keep them out of trouble. And you'd like to think that as time goes on, Gracia might be able to do that more and more. But I don't doubt at all that they have players who can get them get them out of trouble. You know, I don't doubt that. But it was just going to rely on somebody, i.e., Gracia, managing to turn performances that should deliver points into performances that actually do. One thing I've noticed from a fan's perspective is the structure. And I know it caused a few groans against Brighton when we weren't pressing aggressively at points during that game. But over the course of this sort of four or five games, you can see the very sort of distinct ideas, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. It makes sense to me. Whereas I think a lot of what went before, and again, we don't need to get into you know the, the merits or faults of Jesse Marsh too much, probably. But... Um, it sits easier in terms of the eye test, I think, this one. Yeah, and I, I feel as well that when you're, you're having the tactical changes off the bench, as we did have on Saturday, you can, you can see what those changes are supposed to be doing. I mean, it's still the case that if they don't work, then that you know it's, it's not a particularly flattering look for you. But I think I, even though it was a surprise that it was Nonto going off for Christensen, you could see what they were trying to do in, in terms of kind of plugging the wings and, and being a bit more defensively solid or trying at least, I think, to, to create numbers in a way that, that would stifle Wolves. And without a doubt, from game to game, you've seen a lot of tactical variation and a lot of switches, a lot of differences with what he does depending on who it is that, that they're playing. But I also think there's a, a good level of pragmatism there and, and the realisation that at this stage, going for style isn't really going to do... Even even if you, if you, you turn up stylish performance is great... But going for that over substance is not going to do you any favours. They are, and they were when Grassi came in, at the point where it was like results yesterday, please. And I think 
I think he's realised that. I think the pennies dropped really quickly with him, that he, he needed to change things and he needed to mix it up in a way that made it more his team than, than his predecessors. But there was no point going for a big revolution because, again, a little bit like what we were saying um, a few minutes ago, you, you know, you, you conduct this big revolution and then by the time you get to me, it hasn't worked, it hasn't done enough and, and you've gone down and, and it's all pointless. Um, he said a few times, you know, the, the only thing that really matters at this stage is staying up. And he certainly got his head screwed on in that sense. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and this week on the Athletic Football Podcast, we're bringing you a two-part special on the future of football. What will the expanded 48-team World Cup look like? And is it actually such a terrible idea? Plus, UEFA against FIFA, a Super League in disguise. How would you feel if your team became part of a multi-club model? There is a lot to get stuck into. Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and Laura Williamson will be with us. Just search for the Athletic Football Podcast wherever you listen. Let's get a bit more granular then into some of those incidents that happened, Phil. Um, we've sort of touched on a few of them there in the uh, in the first half of the show. So we've had uh, Jack Harrison's goal, six minutes, Nice move from Leeds. Fast forward then onto the the penalty claim. Nine minutes in, and the uh, the lack of uh, of penalty that was given against Junior Furpo. Do you agree with that decision? Do you disagree with that decision? I think over the weekend, and this relates a little bit to the Mitrovic incident against Manchester United yesterday, which is a really bad look, and I, th- I think will be fairly heavily punished, and, and probably should be fairly heavily punished. A, a bit of a mea culpa, really. I, I think it's probably fair to say that we talk about referees and VAR far too much on this show in the way that I think people generally speak too much about referees and, and VAR. And you need reminded of that sometimes. The, the Furpo tackle reminded me a lot of the Rodrigo tackle, the tackle on Rodrigo against Brighton. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that Leeds didn't get that decision against Brighton. Wolves didn't get that decision against Leeds. And in the grand scheme of things, even in themselves out, as people always say, they really do, don't they? I mean, somebody in the press box made a really good point to me about that, the the football challenge on Semedo, which is that to watch it back several times, you could probably make an argument for there being contact. You could probably make an argument for, for it being a foul. You could make the opposite argument as well, and legitimately. So on that basis, if that's given as a penalty, it's probably not going to be overturned in the way that I think if the Rodrigo penalty had been given against Brighton, that wouldn't have been overturned either. So... To be fair, given that it hasn't been awarded at Molyneux, it shouldn't be overturned either. You know, it's not so clear and obvious if that even still applies, that that kind of mantra and, and that policy. It should just be allowed to go. So had that been given, I think you would have said, well, it was a kind of risky tackle and how much the ball did Furpo really get? But at the same time, it wasn't a clear taking out of Semedo either, I don't think. So I, I didn't see... I, I understand why you'd be frustrated with that if you're a Wolves fan because you 1-0 down and you, you want a penalty. But the fact is that when it comes to contentious decisions, we all home in on the contentious decisions we don't like. But then the contentious decisions that we do like tend to be met with your kind of standard cliche of, well, would you a few of them or, you know, it's even in itself out. And it's just massively partisan, isn't it? And, and overall, I, I'm not saying Salisbury had a good game on Saturday, because there were things that that he missed. But overall, I didn't really understand the narrative that it was necessarily his fault that Wolves had lost that game. I just didn't think that was the case. 
No, there seems to be some sort of compounding of what's gone on in previous weeks, I think, in, you know, sort of built into the reaction there. Let me just say this to you. Steve Madeley, a Wolves correspondent, said to me afterwards, you know, they've, they've had a lot of really poor VAR decisions for the past few weeks. I'm not disputing that at all. But it made me laugh because I thought, well, I tell you what, come up to Leeds and ask people what they think and they'll say exactly the same thing. And it, it, it is that thing, isn't it, of a lot of people in a lot of clubs having the perception that VAR is, if not biased against them, then it, it tends to lean against them, whether subconsciously or, or whatever else. I'm just never convinced by the argument that if you have a really poor season, it's down to the fact that you've had very poor officiating. And I do think very often that, you know, the focus on poor officiating is a way of deflecting from other things that have gone on for which the blame might lie closer to home. I mean, to give you an example, do you think replacing Ruben Neves at the point where Wolves replaced him, did them any good and was a bright decision? Not particularly, no. No, it wasn't. So did that have more of an influence on the closing stages of the game than a red card that was definitely a red card? I mean, Lopetegui said afterwards, we might appeal the Johnny red card. And not a chance that that gets overturned. Absolutely no chance. That is that is studs up. It's through Ailing's shin. If you look at the replay, it clearly bends his leg. You know, that is not ever getting overturned. That is a clear, clear red card. And there's no dispute about it. And I don't think I don't think it does an awful lot for referees when that sort of decision you're arguing the toss over rather than just holding your hands up and saying, look, he, he had to go. And let's be honest, wasn't that the case with Willian um, at Old Trafford yesterday? It was the right call, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's quite funny that Willian, having been sent off, was then trying to restrain uh, Mitrovic from getting himself into even further trouble, which is going to be quite substantial, you would imagine, given that he laid his well, hands on Well, that was one of the... That, yeah, I suspect I might be phoning David Crutton at some point to ask about 10-game bans for pushing a referee. He'll, he'll, he'll know what's happening when he sees my, my name come up on the phone. But yeah, I mean, just it was like the you know injury time at Molyneux when Diego Costa was holding back Nunes, and he thought, if, if Costa's a peacemaker, then the day really has gone a bit mad. Yeah, I mean, the red card, we had jumping ahead there, but the red card, yeah, it's about as clear as day as you're going to get, wasn't it? And whether he intended to or not, he, he endangered his opponent. And also, Johnny himself didn't even complain, did he? That's the point. A lot of the fans, you know, this, this reaction is sort of borne out by social media and Twitter, isn't it? People saying, you know, bandy in terms around like conspiracy and things like that, which is which is it's laughable. You know, we all, we all do lean towards thinking that our team is hard done by when it comes to officiating, but... I think we saw some fairly um, next level stuff, didn't we, over the weekend in terms of in terms of this reaction? Because that was about as as red as you're going to get. And just I just wanted to say, just on the penalty, looking at it, you can't say with any certainty whether Firpo did or didn't play the ball, can you? I mean, like you know, from an objective point of view, and the ball went to the Wolves teammate, so he achieved what he set out to achieve in that move, and he also went to ground clutching his knee or whatever it was. So if you're seeing that just from a purely I was going to say, fans and observers' point of view, you're going to say, well, he, he kicked his foot. Why is he holding his leg? Is he trying to fake it there? So you don't help yourself sometimes, do you, if you're going to ground clutching different body parts than those that have been kicked? Every single week, decisions like that, you know, kind of borderline stuff that, that could swing one way or the other. I mean, like Dawson's potential second yellow card that wasn't given, could have been, wasn't, you know, the kind of end of story. And I mean, the first I know, one against the first one against Harrison could have been a straight red as well, judging by it, the it, one that was given against been, John. Um, challenge was not great, um, although it looked to me like he kind of lost his his footing. But I think what you were saying about Johnny there and it not necessarily being deliberate. The laws of football don't look for it to be deliberate. It's all about control. And you remember going back to 
that Stoke Arsenal game with I think it was Ryan Shawcross broke Aaron Ramsey's leg if I'm right in, in saying and there was interesting debate after that because Tony Pulis was saying look Shawcross isn't that sort of player it wasn't deliberate you know he wasn't trying to injure him and I totally believe that and I, I think that would be fair to say but it was a wild challenge so it's totally out of control and it and on that basis you can class it as as reckless and that's the thing with with Johnny it's not that he's going in trying to injure Ailing. You can see quite clearly he's going in trying to win the ball, but he's not got his tackle under control. I should probably phrase that a different way, but you know <laughs> the tackle is the tackle that he's trying to commit is not under control, and because it's not under control, he does what he does, and and you know runs the risk of breaking Ailing's leg. So it's not like there need to be massive recriminations for Johnny. It's it's a red card and it's a ban, and that's that, and and those are the rules. But it. It seemed like an odd, seemed like an odd hill to die on. I thought on on Saturday, or, or an odd fight to pick. What about the um, the sending off of it? Was that was it Nunes who was uh, was sent yes. off from the from the bench? And we've got people. It's getting into Zapruda, you know, the grassy knoll, JFK style analysis now. People um, getting bits of video to prove that uh, that he didn't touch the uh, the referee's assistant on the touchline. But then you can also see him charging out of not only the box, but he's outside the technical area, you know, in the assistant referees, like where they run up and down the line, you know, that particular patch of grass, he's in the way and the assistant does bump into him, but should he be there in the first place and one of several surrounding the official, do you think that will get rescinded? Because they were, they were talking about appealing that as well. Not that it's particularly a Leeds problem. Very, very hard to know, to be quite honest. Though, though, I think unlike the Johnny one, which I really don't think Wolves will appeal. Um, although I might be wrong, we'll, we'll see, but I'd be surprised if they did. Um, the Nunes one will need a lot of analysis, won't it? They'll need to have a very close look at what's going on. And it's not as straightforward as, look, there's his boot going through his shin. You know, it, it will have to be seen whether or not what he was doing was in any way in any way reasonable. But then, of course, once he's been sent off, he's having to be restrained by Costa and so on. So I think it might be quite difficult to, to fight the corner on that one. But perhaps, perhaps. I mean, even that goal... Rocket does try to pull Traore's shirt. And if you pull shirts generally like that, it, it tends to be a free kick. The, the, the reason that one's a bit complicated is because Traore is then back on the ball, kind of slightly half-hearted way. I think he's probably looking for a foul at that point. Some of the wins it back, sends it through to Rodrigo. Rodrigo scores. I thought, in the way that I was certain that VAR would send Johnny off, I thought VAR would rule that goal out. And I thought when the referee went to the screen he would probably do the same. I don't actually have a problem with the fact that he hasn't. I, I mean that from, from a neutral sense. I didn't think it was a kind of particularly physical um, pull on Traore and, and the ball was still there for, for him to have it. But, you know, it was it was an attempt at a foul, without a doubt. But again, did it make a vast difference to the game? You know, it would have been 3-2. The pressure would have been under Leeds. Uh, it would have been on Leeds entirely. I don't doubt that Wolves from that position with a free kick, with a bomb that's straight into the box and and hoped for some some afters that, that gave them an equaliser. But that's where they were by that stage, you know, proper Hail Mary territory. And it felt to me on Saturday a little bit as if rather than facing up to, and I think actually Steve Madeley wrote this in his piece about the game from a Wolves perspective, rather than facing up to the situation they were in, why they were in and, and why really the game hadn't gone for them on Saturday. And actually... Having the, the, I guess the the conviction to say the parts of that game we played pretty well and could have had far more from it. 
it seemed to be like all guns turned on Salisbury. And I'm not saying Salisbury had the best of performances, but I think watching Mitrovic yesterday did just make me think that, you know, we spent, what, 10 minutes talking about it now. But it is, um, it does dominate discussions about football in a way that sometimes it shouldn't. Yeah, and you look at the Leeds goals, in particular, the first three, if you divorce yourself from that, uh, from that fourth one, all were, to varying or lesser degrees, the result of poor defending, weren't they? Like nobody yeah. picked up Harrison running for the first one. Second one was awful marking defensively. It wasn't Michael Salisbury who let Luke Ayling have acres and acres of space, was it? And then Rasmus, although he actually miscontrolled it himself, didn't he? It was poor defending. That was Johnny as well, wasn't it, actually? Um, I think. Miscontrolled it, didn't clear it. I mean, it's their own fault for not defending particularly well, isn't it? Well, yeah. No, it is. In the same way that, you know, it's not Salisbury's fault that Millie heads out, Rocker plays it to Johnny, and Johnny lobs him. Um, nobody's fault that, um, you know, the, the ball deflects off Berber's um, heel and, and goes in. It, it is just kind of football. I think where VAR is, is definitely open to criticism and should be criticised is in the, the glaringly, you know, for example, the thing that led to Lee Mason going, you know, the, the offside decision in the, the game between Arsenal and, and Brentford, that's kind of inexcusable because that is just applying the technology properly, isn't it? And and doing the right things. But to go back to the conversation we have all the time, the football will never be free of human interpretation because things like a pull on Traore's shirt, you have to gauge, is it enough to merit a free kick? You know, is it has it made enough of a difference? And you're never really going to, unless you just hand the game over to computers completely and, and you computer decides yes or no, you're never going to be free of that. Um, and the game's better for it, to be quite honest, because not everything can be black and white. Yeah, I've seen the Terminator films, Phil. We don't want to uh, give everything to the computers. I was, I was watching Terminator 2 last night <laughs> and I was thinking exactly that. It won't be long. Um, for what it's worth, if that Traore incident had been the other way around, I would have wanted that given. I think yeah. I think it was a foul, and yeah, it and it direct, and it did directly contribute to the goal. But equally, you do wonder what the logic is, and it goes back to the, the the idea of accountability, doesn't it? And then if we are adding VAR on top of the existing on-field officials, surely this is where transparency needs to come into effect and release the tapes, Phil. Release the tapes and just have them on record explaining the decision-making process that took place there. Because if it is a second phase of play, if they consider Traore to, that incident to have been over and then the judging on the merits of what happened afterwards, which was that he went into a rather half high tackle and Somerville came out of it, which is funny when you see them against each other physically, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. For then um, Somerville to emerge with it and play a lovely through ball for, for Rodrigo. Is it a second phase of play? The explanation there, at very least, even if you don't agree with it, would provide some sort of clarity. Waste of time. Waste of time. It would make no difference to the way in which the aggrieved party think about it or debate it or discuss it. I don't think anything Michael Salisbury said on Saturday would have changed what you were seeing afterwards. Lopetegui, I'm pretty sure, went to somebody said had gone to see the officials before because he took a long time to come into the press conference afterwards. So presumably he'd been to speak to them or, or had tried to. And if he did speak to them, presumably had had, had some form of explanation or, or a bit more clarity. Makes no difference. Makes absolutely no difference. You're still going to be angry, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And you're still going to feel aggrieved and you're still going to be partisan about it. And in the way that we all are, you're going to be biased towards your own club. Just a reminder, this is the final um, Monday edition of the of the Phil Hay Show. It'll revert back to, to once a week from this point forward. So as we do head into the um, the international break, what sort of shape do you think Leeds are in? Uh, brings us back to where we started the show, doesn't it? About the psychological 
aspect of being 14th rather than 19th? I think psychologically, it, that is what it's about at this stage. Again, there are technical and, and tactical things you can look at and I think be pleased with from Gracia's work. But it is the mental the mental advantage, I think, of having not only the Wills win, but you know the, the Southampton win, draw against Brighton, seven points from four games is a really good return for a barely out-of-form team, but also 14th in the division. And I think probably that, that hope or that little suspicion that there are teams in that mix who are feeling a lot worse than you. I mean, we, we spoke at length about the possibility that Vieira would be sacked by Palace. He was uh, Last week, he was sacked by Palace almost exactly as the same time as the podcast dropped. But, I mean, they've lost to Arsenal, which I think they, they were always likely to do. They are right in it. You know, they, they absolutely are. And I think Wolves, will, Wolves are not going to enjoy these two weeks. Um, I don't think many clubs down there are enjoying these two weeks, if truth be told. But perhaps Leeds will enjoy it a little bit more than most others and they will certainly enjoy it more than they would have done had they not taken a win from Molyneux. Well, yeah, you were talking about this, about it almost laying down a marker, weren't you, in the in the run-up to this, this fixture? And when you look at the teams that are now below us, we've got Bournemouth to play, West Ham, we've got Leicester, we've got Forest, all beneath us now in the table. Palace, who are just a, a fraction above us still to come. And you think, well... These are games we can now get something from because we've seen us beat Southampton. We've seen us go to Wolves and score four goals. It gives you hope going into those fixtures, doesn't it? It does. I mean, the spread of four points is ludicrous. You know, from from 20th to 12th, it, it makes it incredibly difficult to call. And, you know, I know somebody who follows Palace who, who said to me this last week, they didn't really think Palace are, are in danger. I mean, I think Palace absolutely are. Four defeats on the bounce for them now. And, and, really, really drifting badly. So I, I wouldn't say that what's gone on over the weekend makes it any any easier to call. But without a doubt, it pushes Leeds closer to the sort of points tally that you'd be looking for them to get to in order to stay up. And we'd mentioned that from Grassy's first three games, the points per game tally was taking them towards around about 39. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that or thereabouts will be enough. And this is a, a big step in that direction. And I... I, you know, I We've all got to be realistic enough to accept that because it's Arsenal next, the chances are the table is not going to look so healthy on the back of that game. But to coin an old phrase, you're not going to stay up on the basis of your results at Arsenal or the basis of your results at the Etihad. You're going to stay up on the basis of trips to Wolves and Palace and Forest at home back to back. Well, yeah, Phil, fingers crossed it all goes the way we want. And uh, and we can look back on this as a season where we learned a few lessons maybe. Um along the way it's not been fun again has it but at least being 14th now is uh... no but I should say actually somebody was complaining to me on the um, the comments on the, the match piece after Wolves that um, we uh, that we go on too much about how much we're not enjoying this season given that we uh, we both get paid to cover it and to, to <laughs> so uh, fair point uh, the, the point I was trying to make to him and actually was the point of the piece after Wolves as well was that it's become more about the individual moments over the last two seasons than it has about the bigger picture and I think when the bigger picture doesn't feel like it's working, which it certainly hasn't for, you know, the best part of two years now at Leeds. This is where you find gratification from things like the madness of Molyneux. Absolutely. And when you look back at what Grassi has delivered, albeit, again, only a small sample size, you think, well, this starts to make sense now. I can see what he's doing, why they appointed him. You know, it all it makes more sense. It gives me more confidence the longer this goes on and the better we do. Just like anything in football, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah, results results are what matter in the end. And I don't know about you, and here's a closing thought for you. I said it before, I will say it again. The level to which my happiness 
is pegged to the fortunes of Leeds United is quite pathetic for a man in my forties, but I absolutely probably I, incredibly unhealthy yeah. as well. But yeah. I, abs- I absolutely love it because I've been like, oh, zippity doo da, zippel weekend. It, it was funny talking to Rocky about mindfulness and um, you know why he got into it and, and why it was important to him, and and he did just say because it kind of consumes your thoughts, doesn't it? There's so much noise out there about football, so much noise, so many opinions, and he said when you get onto the pitch, you need to be able to flow, you need to be able to process your thought. You don't have a lot of time to think, and without a doubt, and he said this, you know, going from, okay, he was he was in the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, but most of his football was played in La Liga with Espanyol, and La Liga and the Premier League are totally different divisions in the way that the, the football's played and the, the tempo of it, the rhythm of it. And when it comes to that thing of you know, keeping keeping your head while everybody's losing theirs, like Will's a great example of that. You know, it, actually holding it together in those circumstances is really tough. Out the Phil Hay Show on Twitter if you want to say hi. If you want to read that Mark Rocket interview, when's that dropping then, Phil? Is it later in the week? It may well be online on Tuesday and we're still working out the timing of it, but at some point this week, definitely. Perfect. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up for The Athletic and read that if you haven't yet. Find the offer on there. And we'll be back towards the back end of the week, Phil. Enjoy. Thank you. The Phil Hay Show.